I'm Sergeant Sarah Kelly with 450th CA unit out of Maryland, and today I'm interviewing Major Devin Connolly. He is here in NTC as one of the OCs. So welcome, sir. Thank you so much for agreeing to the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for, I don't know, inviting me on, yeah. How did you get involved with civil affairs? I don't know, by accident, right? So I, I was originally an artillery officer in the Army when I came in as a, like a second lieutenant. I think like 2006, 2007 in Iraq, we weren't doing a whole lot of shooting of artillery, right? I ended up, I was basically a civil affairs officer for an armor <laughs> company, I guess you could say, right? Managing their CERT projects and doing stuff with local police, local sheikhs, local government, all the types of stuff. types of stuff, so... I was kind of doing CA work as an artillery officer, and then one of my buddies, another artillery officer, I don't know how he heard about, like, active duty civil affairs and, like, the, the recruiting briefings that came to Fort Stewart at the time, but he went, and I just went with him. Yeah, and I decided to join. I mean, because I, I thought it was just to be challenged, and I thought it'd be something that would be fun, and I think it was, it's been both. So how many years, actually, are you, have you been in uh, civil affairs? So it's been, like, nine years in, like, two months, so... Nice. Yeah, it's about nine years right now I've been in active duty right. CA. What kind of areas of the world have you mostly been with? Uh, so like most people in the Army, I've been to Iraq and Afghanistan, but then also spent eight months as CA team leader in Tajikistan as well. What motivated you to become an OC here at NTC? The primary motivating factor was HRC sending me orders telling me to come to NTC. So and I got so nobody really nobody volunteers really to be an OC here primarily. But I think what keeps me or like that's what made me an OC. But I think what makes the difference between just like people who are just begrudgingly come here and people who actually make this a worthwhile experience is you know like a desire to take our experiences, help other units, help other individuals grow while they're here. Because for most people, this is this is going to be the biggest and probably most worthwhile training experience they're going to have. So I think it a a desire to to teach and to help other units grow. It really makes people an OC as opposed to just orders from, from human resource command. So you liked it that much during your rotation decided to stay, huh? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now what is it exactly is it that you do here? First and foremost, just like OCT, observer, controller, trainer, I mean that really is what we do, right? Observing units and I would say helping them see themselves. A lot of times when units come in, they kind of have a false sense of where their shortcomings are and where their strengths are. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong, and I think that's one of the primary things that we do here is help them get an accurate picture of themselves. So we do that during force-on-force training here. Our team of CA and SIOP OCs help run the sticks lanes that we do towards the end of NTC rotation. But then also we use our feedback for the scenario planners for ops group headquarters in order to continually improve the training, but also keep it relevant to what's going on with the force, you know, the way that units are being used, current conflicts are going on, like how do we continually make the training here most relevant, most worthwhile for units that come. And what would you say some of the unit's biggest pitfalls are? I mean, the biggest pitfall is, is going to be, I think, it's integration. And then I think it's primarily because, especially for use of KPOC, CA, and PSYOP units, you just can't do that at a lot of other places, especially at the brigade level. So you maybe have opportunities at least to partner for a couple of days or go to, you know, Fort Bragg for some sort of training exercise that a brigade is doing there, but not at this level. So a lot of times the teams come in with an idea of how they want to integrate with Italian, does it work out so well? And we see that teams get misutilized. And, and some of that, you could say, is on the supported unit, you know, battalion commanders not knowing how to use resources and stuff. But that's also on us to understand how can we talk to those units to make sure that we 
were being effectively utilized. So a lot of times, I think you guys probably said during your rotation, some teams immediately got pushed down to maneuver company, and then they seem to kind of disappear, and they have long stretches of time where they're not doing anything worthwhile, where some teams manage to keep themselves at the battalion headquarters. They do go down to line companies when it comes time for execution, whether that's doing civil reconnaissance or whatever, keyleader engagements, um, but they go back to the headquarters and continue to build integration. And the company headquarters is always a struggle at the brigade combat team, especially if a brigade doesn't have an S9, of how does the headquarters plug into all of the planning processes of the brigade. I mean, that's something that you just can't really train at home station, understanding, I think kind of how we talked about one of our big topics, you know, in your AAR about IPB, intelligence preparation of the battlefield, how does CA plug into that? You know, and a lot of don't have a great idea of how that's supposed to work. I don't think it's a friction point that we generally see coming. Honestly, it's not really one you can do a lot to prepare for at home. There's some, but not a lot. Yeah, because I know for us, one of the biggest things we noticed really was communication, not just comms, but sometimes between different teams and within the teams themselves. Sure. So, I mean, communication is always one of these struggles for units here, right? And, and yeah. it's not just CA units, right? <laughs> at the brigade level, communications is one of the, the biggest friction points, because until you've come to NTC, nothing can match the distances of NTC. The no training environment you're going to come upon is going to match that. You go to some training event at Fort Bragg or wherever at home station, and you're like, yeah, FM communications, it works. It's awesome. It's easy. Sure, but because we're talking like a kilometer, two kilometers away, we start to get units and teams that are 30, 40 kilometers away, all of a sudden FM is not going to do it for you. So then becoming understanding your second and third priorities for communications, having a pace actually is feasible and is understandable, and that we actually have the expertise and the training on all those systems to make sure that they can actually function. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, that's that's probably the number one problem area as far as training that we see when units come in. Now, besides that, what other ideas for CA units to prepare to come out here, whether it be towards the KLE engagements or just kind of the understanding of the CA doctrines themselves? So yeah, so understanding of CA doctrine, I think is a big one. So I'll, I'll be the first person to tell you that doctrine is not the way it has to be done. Like you can't just read this and it's a guidebook and it explains me exactly how to do all of the things I'm supposed to do. No, I think it's really a guideline and it's a set of principles about how you should be operating. However, it's not a very good guideline if you've never read it and you don't know what's in there. It can't be used as a guide. So you still have to know what's in there. And I think it's totally fine if you understand the doctrine, you understand what it says, and that with the mission you've been given, the assets you have, you say, look, look, I make a conscious decision to not do or to kind of shift from doctrine a little bit because it's going to work better. I think that's mm-hmm. totally fine. If, however, you're saying I'm operating this way, but I also don't really know what doctrine would tell me to do anyways, well, then that's a problem. So definitely a big one. I think more generally, it's, you know, the biggest thing for units is SOPs. And I know it's a hassle because we talk about SOPs. It's like, oh, I got to I gotta write out like pages and pages of SOPs, which I, I got. I understand why that is such pain. But when it comes to communications, like understand not just like the physical equipment we're using, but the methods, you know, timelines, the formats of our reporting that we're going to be doing, having an idea before, especially before coming to NTC about how we think that that's supposed to work. Duties and responsibilities, not just on a team, the company headquarters level is even, I think, more complex because we have more people. And the things that the company headquarters can be asked to do, especially when you are plugged into a, a brigade headquarters and you've no experience doing this, understanding like how we can break apart those duties and responsibilities so that we're effectively accomplishing all our tasks 
tasks. We're making the use of every soldier's time. I think it's very beneficial. And I'm not saying that units should come in with like, here are SOPs. They're 100% complete. We have validated them. We have done it. No, just like come in with, I don't know, like a 75% solution. Like we think these are pretty good SOPs. We recognize that, you know, we've not actually been had a chance to test all of these very thoroughly. Awesome. Let's look at your SOPs on day one when you get here. Let's operate according to those SOPs for some days and we'll have some conversations about what is working, what is not working. You know, what do we need to add to our SOPs we've identified here so that when units leave NTC, I mean, they can have a very good idea of, where, you know, where they need to go in the months coming up. Like, what do we need to improve upon in order to make sure that, heaven forbid, we have to come back to NTC in six months from now, like, we're better prepared. Now, do you see any difference between, like, a reserve unit coming out versus the active duty? I mean, so sure, what you're asked to do, I mean, the structure of what you're, you do here is a little bit different. Where, like, so reserves here, you guys are supporting a brigade combat team. We're on the active duty side. They're supporting Special Operations Task Force. But at the end of the day, like, like this specific tasks, like key leader engagements, civil reconnaissance, understanding the civil component of the environment, like, all of those things are kind of the same. There's not this big difference between the two. There are, like, our differences, right? In the reserves, a lot of people, a lot of individual soldiers have some great technical skills that they've got from, from outside of the Army, whether that's, you know, law enforcement, medical, city planners, whatever. Active duty has the benefit of being on active duty and five or, you know, sometimes even seven days a week, they're training, so they can put a little more time into that. So that while there are differences at the base level, I mean, I think the, the tasks are kind of the same, right? There's no, uh, you know, I think what they're being asked to do is not drastically different. Have you ever seen an, an interaction together where CA reserve units teamed up together out here? Yeah, no, I think we have, yeah, we have, absolutely, right? And so then there are times when overlap where active and reserve teams may have a different purpose for what they're doing in a certain urban area, but it's very beneficial for the two to team up in order to, you know, both having, sharing a key leader engagement, elements from both teams, you know, talking to the same person with different purposes, and that's fine. Or it just comes down to just a sharing of information, that just like if you have multiple teams from your company working in an area, you should be working together to make sure that we're not duplicating effort, you know, helping each other out, sharing information can be extremely beneficial. Yeah, we see it, I think, every once in a while, yeah. What about with PSYOP? Any advice to give when working with them better? Because sometimes at certain teams, it seems to work out better than others, and I don't know whether it's sometimes personalities that clash, or just different ideas of what's expected of them out here. It blows my mind when we get PSYOP and CA units out here that just refuse to work together. And we've had some really bad ones, where they just almost refuse to talk, and I don't understand why. I think it just comes down to personalities. While our tasks, you know, what we're trying to do are not exactly the same, one, we're kind of in the same boat, especially here at NTC, where you're being plugged into a brigade combat team that doesn't, but one, doesn't mean that doesn't exactly know how to use you, but also your, you know, your supporting elements. We come with, like we talked about, some communication challenges, some equipment challenges. It always works best with CA and PSYOP. Just work together, right? Share your resources, share the information you have, and whether that's at the brigade headquarters where we see CA and PSYOP sharing the back of an LMTV, or if they've got some sort of tent sharing. I know a lot of times not, not everybody's got JCRs, so sharing JCRs, communications equipment. We get one nipper, sipper drop, sharing those. Yeah, I mean, there's a drastic difference between units come out and CA and SIAP are able to work well together. And then also at the team level, the two have to be working together. I mean, I, I, I really get mad at CA teams that let their SIAP team struggle. Especially, it's one thing if the SIAP team shows up and they have everyone they're supposed to, like, you know, and it's a staff sergeant who is their team leader, but sometimes we get sergeants who are team leaders, right? So I think that's he individual is at a distinct disadvantage trying to integrate into a battalion as an E5 as opposed to a CA team that has a captain and a sergeant first class. And I think if they let that side team struggle with integration, it is on them. And I have no problem like just straight up yelling at them for that because there's no excuse for it. Yeah.
yeah, I mean, there's there's just no no excuse. You can see some of the ones that we worked really well, PSYOPs, those missions, they were smooth and they worked out great versus others that, like, we wound up having to go alone. Sure, but it's all about relationships because at the end of the day, even if you if you have a captain <laughs> and he's a team leader, you can't tell the PSYOP, you know, the PSYOP team what to yeah. do. They don't work for you. So at that point, it's just all about relationships. And honestly, in civil affairs, if you can't build relationships with people, that number <laughs> one, that's what you need to work on. It's one of the primary things we have to do is just building relationships. So For a successful training at home, besides preparation, what kind of training do you think CA units should focus more on? The KLE side, maybe more on the CMOP, or what would you recommend? All of the above. KLE training is awesome. I think for anything you're doing, it's about higher training, though. I mean, you can do KLEs all day long, but if you're not focusing on the right things, like so the biggest shortfall we always see here is preparation for engagements. How are we doing preparations? Now, I, I would always prefer to see people write down because I think it always works better. Some people it doesn't. How much time are we spending for engagements? I think we always get this kind of idea that like, well, I mean, nobody's going to die because of this engagement, so it's not really a big deal. Well, no, it, it can be a big deal. Like the effects you get from certain engagements should be really important. So your preparation into it is very meaningful. I mean, I think we think it's ridiculous if someone's interviewing for a job and you don't prepare for it. Or if you're going to talk to General Guthrie and like this is your one shot, you got 10 minutes to, you know, get out the information that you want to get to General Guthrie. You should probably prepare for that engagement. So it's not even real world doing our civil affairs mission. Throughout your life, you should be doing this type of thing for any kind of engagement. So sometimes it can be kind of disappointing when we see teams come here and you can tell that they really haven't figured out how it is do they effectively prepare for engagement. And whether that's with just regular person on the street in Razish or that's with a mayor or provincial governor, it doesn't matter how you're preparing for it. But then, yeah, so you also your point, you mentioned like CMOC training. So I, I will tell you that one of our greatest training pitfalls, and it's like active duty and reserve, is that the company headquarters doesn't get training. So in Garrison, like the headquarters, our number one focus is training teams. And then we somehow forget that we also need to be trained. So I, I think kind of in general, like we see the teams are better trained at their tasks than the company mm-hmm. headquarters is trained at its tasks. And that's just because of the focus we put on teams during our home station training that we don't put on company headquarters training. Is there some kind of bridge that you think that you wish OCs could kind of help out a little bit more with besides just being an observer of them? No, so I think we're not just observers. Like if you listen to a lot of the in-briefs here from senior leaders, it has changed and it should have changed from the past where, you know, we would just sit back and observe and then we'll come talk to you during your AAR, what you screwed up on. Like, no, like OCs are supposed to be in there with you every day, multiple times a day for long periods of time to the extent where you would just ask them, please, can you just leave us alone in there with you, helping you understand, you know, where your friction points are and helping train your unit to become better. Yeah, I mean, I'm not very interested in just sitting back and watching people and evaluating them. That, that sounds, one, that's no fun for me. I think it's not very effective. I got it. I can then help you identify where your training shortfalls are, but we haven't done it. You know, if, but if this is the end of the rotation, then we haven't done anything to help, you know, fix that problem while you're still here. So, I, yeah, I think observer, controller, trainers, you know, if you're a trainer at the end, that's very important for us to be continually doing that and making sure that units are gradually improving. So by the time they leave here, I mean, you're much prepared to deploy anywhere than you were when you first arrived. So where do you see the future of civil affairs going? Do you see any sort of capabilities expanding or maybe a new area of specialty? Does world kind of keeps evolving. We have to keep our skills sharp. I, I don't know if I see specifically any new capabilities expanding. A lot of times when we talk about civil affairs things we're trying to do and you kind of get the attitude of like, hey man, coin's over. Like, we're not doing counterinsurgency anymore. Like, yeah, but I would certainly argue that civil affairs is very relevant in any kind of conflict. 
like, don't tell me. Unless we're fighting out in the middle of desert somewhere and there's no population anywhere around, short of that, like, you know, civil affairs is going to be very relevant and needs to be. So I don't know that necessarily we need to change. I mean, we should always be open to change. Never get in the mindset that's just not the way we do things or that back when I was a team leader 10 years ago, that's not what we did so that we're not going to do it now. So I think we definitely need to be open and constantly evaluating ourselves, looking at what the military is being asked to do and making sure that, well, are we doing everything it is we can to make sure that, you know, we can actually help the military accomplish that mission. So one of the things I was amazed with was how fast social media played more of an impact this time. Some of the things we did, they almost immediately got uploaded to social media and we could watch the videos and see the information within a short while after it was done. The U.S. military, I don't think on a very large scale, has very has experienced that yet. Because really by the time we were getting out of Iraq, at least when I, you know, when I was there in 2007, 2008, like, people didn't really have smartphones back then. And we were getting out before social media really started to take off. So I, I don't know how that's really going to affect, you know, conflict in general. And I don't, you know, what how does that affect what civil affairs can do? I don't know. Something we certainly got to be mindful of. Uh, yeah, we definitely play it here at the National Training Center because I, I think it's going to be important. It helps, and it certainly helps units highlight or show things that they have done wrong or actually, honestly, successes as well get highlighted and, you know, help you understand, like, the effects that just your actions, individual soldiers' actions can have a large effect. It was something because they would praise us and other times they were roasting us. So. Well, sure. Social media certainly yeah. allows for a, uh, a whole variety <laughs> of opinions. It does. Do you have any words of wisdom to CA units for NTC or just even civil affairs in general? So for units prepping to, you know, to come to NTC, just be proactive. Talk to units that have been here before. Reach out to the OCs here. When our emails get thrown up on every AAR and all the slides and things that other units have. You feel free to reach out to us to talk about about what's going to go on here at NTC. I mean, at the end of the day, this is your training. It's not my training. It's not ops group's training. So units have to, at least I think they should, be very proactive about understanding what it is you're going to do here, having an active role in what their training objectives are. Everyone here is very open to to units having their own say in what their own training objectives are, as, as well I think they should. If you don't reach out to us and make sure, especially for use KPOC, civil affairs companies, Italian or Brigade doesn't reach out to us to make sure that we understand what your training objectives hearts, you know, a ton of harder for us to, to craft and create that training during the 14 training days here. So yeah, make the most of it. The 14th rotation for me, like for units, units come in, it's their first rotation. Yeah, right. Even if right. you've been here for three times, it's like your first time here as this unit. So don't just be passive and let this opportunity kind of go past you. Just be proactive from the very beginning, six months out reach out to us, get us, you know, let us have an idea of what it is you want to see here, what you want to do here. Sir, do you have any tips for new soldiers that are coming out here who have never really spent the kind of field prep the way this is, whether they're sleeping in Humvees, outdoors all the time, no electricity, no showers, using a bucket as a bathroom, <laughs> wag bags. Do you have any tips for them? I'm going to forget tips for them. In 14 days in the desert are just never going to be pleasant. But I think the biggest thing you just forget is you can sleep in your Humvee seat for a night or two. Too, right? But when it's the 10th night and you're still sleeping in your Humvee seat, meaning you're probably getting terrible sleep. I know when I sleep in the seat of my Humvee, I mean, it's probably every 30 or 40 minutes I'm waking up because it's uncomfortable. So just be cognizant of how that is going to affect the amount of sleep and the amount of rest you're getting. And if your whole plan is just to sleep in your Humvee seat for your entire time here, I would tell you that's probably a bad plan. There may be nights, absolutely, that you're going to end up doing that. But come with a plan of sleep plan of how you're going to do that. Have an understanding of, you know, what kind of clothing and equipment do you need to bring to make yourself a little more comfortable? You can tell, I mean, it's fine to try to tough it out for a couple of days, but eventually 
continually trying to tough it out, just it's going to lower your overall performance. How long actually does it take to become an OC? The academy that we do here is only a week. But I would tell you, and I think most people would kind of say, well, I think everyone would say, your first rotation here as an OC, you have no idea what's going on. I mean, you're just trying to keep up, just like you, when you guys are like, Oh, man, I, don't, I have no idea where I am right now. I'm lost. Uh, it happens to OCs all the time, like during their first rotation, right? OCs get lost. They have no idea where they are. They've got, like, multiple radios going off. They're kind of trying to drive with night vision, trying to follow their training unit. Super confusing. They have no idea what's going on, like where the enemy even is. So it really takes two or three rotations to figure out what is it that the units are supposed to be doing here, training on. It also becomes much easier when you can just drive around the training area with no map. I can just you know, just drive wherever it is you need to go. You understand what the battlefield is supposed to look like. And honestly, like one, absolutely, that's more helpful for me and the other C's because it makes my it makes the rotation less stressful. But also because it becomes less stressful for us and it's easier for us, I can now spend a lot more of my time, a lot more of my mental focus on making sure a unit is meeting their training objectives that they came here to meet. Realistically identifying, you know, the problem areas they're having and like coming up with a strategy to fix it. What's one of the most unique things that you found out here? Man, one of the most unique things. I don't know, the wildflowers in the desert? I mean, it was pretty green, this rotation. I don't know if you guys realize the desert's usually pretty brown. This is probably the most green I've seen. I don't know if I've seen you. I mean, there's certainly unique animals in, out in the desert. Yeah, I was trying to convince uh, another fellow soldier that jackalopes existed out here. <laughs> jackalopes may not exist, but donkeys all over Fort Irwin definitely <laughs> exist. Yeah, coyotes, bobcats, they're everywhere. No, I mean, NTC yeah. as a whole is a unique experience. So one, yeah, OCs never want. I, and I got it, training units also generally don't want to come here because I understand it's not fun, right? But it is a training experience you're not going to get anywhere else. I think it's, I mean, good units, while they understand that it's never extremely pleasant, like I think a lot of units, a lot of soldiers actually do enjoy coming here because they understand the benefit they get by being here. It's a lot of sleepless nights and long days, but it's a lot of personal and professional growth as well. What's your next step after this? So my next step is to go back to uh, 95th Civil Affairs Brigade. Finally back to, it's been a little while for me from Civil Affairs units. It'll be great to get back to actually doing my job as opposed to just helping other people do theirs. And I'm sure at some point I will go to a CTC as well. And then hopefully I will keep an open mind and let the OCs coach us as much as possible. So that, you know, when I come here as a training unit, you know, I'm in a better place to just make this a worthwhile experience. Well, thank you very much for participating in our CA podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. 